The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Tonight we are beginning our series, Who Are You? Finding Identity in Christ. And the overarching point of this series is to get us to reflect deeply on this question. Okay, so this is not the last time you're going to hear this. Uh, it, It may be woven through every service. Okay, so this is the question that we are endeavoring to answer. If someone were to ask you, who are you, but told you that you could not respond with your name, what is the first answer you would give? So I'll walk up to you and i say, who are you? But you can't use your name to describe yourself. What's the first thing that flows up out of your heart? What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Because what that'll tell us is, what is the very center of your identity? What is the most prominent element of who you are? The place from which all other characteristics that define you flow. I'll read you a quote from Tim Keller, which I believe to be 100% accurate and appropriate for framing our journey through this series. Here's what he says. He says, the Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something other than Jesus. I'll read it one more time. He says, the Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something other than Jesus. If all of our struggles and problems are represented by rotten fruit on the tree of our lives, then issues of identity are a corrupted root that must be cut out and burned to ash. My great hope for us in this series is that through the help of the Holy Spirit, as he guides us through the truth of the word, that if we were to be asked, who are you? That we will answer truthfully and joyfully that we are children of God. That the first thing that would come up out of us is that we are children of God. Of all the things that mark us and identify us, of all the things that that stir our passions, that first and foremost we are children of God. And that everything else about us will flow from this blessed truth. We're going to read Romans 8, starting in verse 12. We'll go to verse 17 together, okay? So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Our joyful task through this series is to study together all of the incredible and beautiful privileges that come with being children of God. The hope is that our perfect Father and the weight of His glory would crush all of our identity idols into dust for our good and for the praise of His name. I don't want to spend the preponderance of our time idol hunting and trying to promote or get you to think a whole lot about maybe where your your identity is out of place. What I want to do is spend a lot of time showing you all of the blessings that come in an identity as God's child. And hopefully the weight of the joy of the glory of that will make all those other things go away. That they won't stand a chance for your affections. So today we're going to rejoice in three truths about God's kids. Because of God, we are free, we are fearless, and we are fathered. 
And so all of my friends with a Baptist background are real happy about the alliteration on the sermon today. There you go. Yes, yes. I'm getting a witness back there. The Baptists are putting their hands in the air, man. Woo, alliteration. That, now I know how to get you all going. Okay. Amen. I'll work. It's hard to do, but I'll keep going, man. That gets you guys fired up. Okay, so first thing we said is children of God are free. Okay, let's go back to the text. I'm going to read 12 through 15. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery. I believe we have tragically lost our way in modern times when it comes to the idea of freedom. Most people today think of freedom as the right to do whatever we want, not knowing that oftentimes what we want is the result of our slavery to sinful desires. I want you to imagine something with me. I'm going to ask you to put yourself here emotionally, let your mind's eye wander to this scenario. I want you to imagine that somehow you were born in a small cell. So your parents were captives, you were born into this small cell. This cell is the size of a parking space. Uh, there is one dim light and no windows. You stay there from the time you were born and you never see outside of this cell. This is your existence. No one ever tells you there is something outside those four walls and you have no idea that cell is just one miserable little portion of a much bigger and more beautiful world. Now imagine that you are never given any rules. You can do absolutely whatever you please inside this cell, and no one will ever stop you. Here's my question to you, friends. Is that freedom? I don't believe it is. As a matter of fact, of course it's not. It's a wretched and a pitiful existence. And what Jesus wants to do is come unlock that door and lead you outside and let the warmth of the sun hit your face and let you smell the sweet fragrance of the outside air. He wants you to be awakened to the fact that you were made for much more than that dark and terrible cell. True freedom is not being able to do whatever you want. It's being able to do what you were made to do. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and perhaps better than my analogy. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Children of God are free. Children of God are also fearless. One of the privileges of the children of God is to live completely without fear. And you may ask, how is that possible? It's a reasonable question. I would say, first of all, that fear can be linked, all fear, every fear, can be linked back to a fear of death. And because we have a promise of eternity with God, we do not fear death, but we embrace it as our final victory. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, O death, where is your sting? Children of God can mock death because we have no fear of it. And that's really what he's doing there. That's, do you see what he's doing? It's, he's calling out to it. O death, where is your sting? Where's your victory? You've lost. We can make fun of it because we don't fear it. Now, you might say you might not have bought wholeheartedly my previous premise that 
all fear is linked back to death. So maybe you would say to me, mm, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if all fear can be linked back to a fear of death. So maybe, I can, maybe there's this compartment of fear that has nothing to do with that. I'm not really afraid of dying, but I am afraid of this thing over here. And so what you're saying doesn't really apply to me. Let's just work on that for a second with a few examples, okay? Let's say you have a fear of snakes. That's pretty high on the fear ometer, right? I don't know if that's an actual instrument that exists, but you know what I'm after. So, you know, there are rankings. People are polled. They'll say, I fear this, I fear this, right? This is my, my greatest fear. And, and so you see the, the ratings. Snakes are up there, right? Because they are weird things. They slither around and they don't have feet and they're creepy looking, right? So some people are afraid of snakes. But, but let's think about that. Really, your fear of snakes is a fear that they will bite you or squeeze you and kill you ultimately, right? Maybe you don't like the way they move and, and all that. I get that, yes. But ultimately, you're, wor you're worried that venomous snake is going to bite you or that constrictor is going to squeeze you and, and kill you. Otherwise, you'd have no real reason to fear a snake. You might say, well, i got a fear of small spaces, right? Claustrophobia. Well, really, really what you're afraid of behind the small space, that's not really the big deal. The big deal is you're afraid you're going to suffocate in that small space and you're going to die. You're afraid of death. You might say, well, I got one for you, fear of public speaking. And you'd be right because most people list above snakes and spiders and all of this other stuff, most people list what I'm doing right now as their greatest fear, fear of public speaking. Some of you are nodding your head vigorously. It's, it's maybe the only time I've seen you excited about something I was saying. Yes, I'm afraid of talking in front of people. You can witness with that. So um, it is, and it can be intimidating. Um, but, but what's the reason for that, and how is that tied to uh, a fear of death. You might say, well, I think that's maybe I got you on this one. Well, I would say to you that really what your fear is, your fear of talking in front of people is a fear of being socially rejected. And without community and social interaction, especially, I think this is wired into us from probably earlier times, earlier in human history, you were as good as dead if you weren't a part of a group that could help you stay alive. Uh, that's not so much true anymore. We can live a more individualized life now, but you know, you see most people that are uh, in solitary confinement for a, a long amount of time, even when they try to reintegrate back into society, they, they can't do it, um, and it jacks them up real bad. And so we weren't made to be alone, and ultimately, a lot of times, that, that leads to suicide for those folks, tragically. And so ultimately, I believe the fear for some people of standing in front of others and speaking is a fear of social rejection, and somewhere wired in there is a fear of death because of that social rejection. So... Ultimately, if we, don't have to have, if we don't have to fear death, we really can begin to laugh in the face of all of our fears. And thus, God's people can be completely and totally fearless. We have no fear because we aren't afraid of death. We also have no fear because of who our Father is. Okay? Later in Romans 8.31, we see this fear-crushing statement. The next time you see yourself, fear, feel yourself intimidated by some situation, uh, somebody coming against you, whether it be something spiritual or physical, whatever it is, Romans 8.31, this is, this is some Holy Ghost trash talk right here. It's, this is my kind of scripture. Here's what it says. If God be for us, who can be against us? And just in that statement, there is, this, there is this confidence that comes. It flows directly from the character and nature of our God, who is completely sovereign and unchallenged in his kingship. He reigns above all else. He's the one who spoke and created all things. And simply because of who he is and our relational connection to him, fear for us is complete foolishness if we really think about it. Because of who we are with, right? If it was up to you and me by ourselves, yes, there's a lot of scary things and we should be afraid. But if God is for us, who or what can be against us? Nothing. Everything falls 
in the wake of his mighty hand sweeping across, man. Everything loses that stands against him. And I happen because of Christ to be standing behind him. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. I'm a happy man today. God's unchallenged sovereignty and power is a source of strength for those of us who are his children. Because we know not only that he is powerful, but also that he loves us. Here's what 1 John 4.18 says. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I'm still talking about why Christians are fearless, okay? This is going to get deep. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So how does this work? Why is that scripture there? It's interesting because we often think of courage, not love, as the antidote to fear, don't we? We think if somebody's afraid, somebody's quivering in their boots, you know, somebody's scared of something, we need, they need more courage. I propose to you that true courage flows from pure love. I'll give you a couple examples um, of, of how that works. Why, why is courage come from love? Why is fear vanquished in the face of love? Here's a couple examples. If you read the paper or pay attention, just, just in the last several weeks, there was a man and a son from Cincinnati, and they went camping down, uh, I believe right around Red River Gorge. Somebody shake your head yes if you know this story, and I'm right. Okay, good. There's the details. They were down somewhere where there was bears, right? And so they, they set up their... Um, they set up their, you sleep in it, it's a hammock. They set up their hammock, and um, apparently what happens is this bear starts attacking this man's son. And uh, the rest of the story goes, this man comes running from wherever he was and starts whooping on the bear and gets the bear off of his son, okay? Now, here's my question to you. Under normal circumstances, do men go looking to pick fist fights with bears? No, Why? Because bears are bigger and stronger and better equipped for battle than your average human, right? And they will kill you most of the time. There's, there's a legitimate reason not to go, you know, picking fights with bears. It's like the jerky commercials with the Sasquatch, man. You're going to lose. That's not, how, that's not a good idea. Um, but, so, but what's different in this situation, right? What, what caused this guy to fight a bear? Love for his son. What disappeared immediately. Here's all he knew. My son's in trouble, and I love him. What's in between me and him? A, a man-killing, meat-eating machine, yes, but I don't care. Self-preservation and all that jazz went away. Fear was vanquished. Love rushed in. Courage comes out of it, and you see this brother fighting a bear, and he wins to boot. That's awesome. I mean... I'd give the guy a gold star on his chart if he fought the bear and lost, right? You're still like, dude, well done. Your, your man card is punched, brother. But he fought and won, right? And so uh, I'm going to try to meet him and shake his hand because that's, that's a serious brother. But the reason he fought a bear was love for his son. Fear and self-preservation were cast out and love-motivated courage rose up. This is how love casts out fear. Now, this is a perhaps extreme example, but it... It works in, in, in every way uh, that, that we could possibly think of. So I would point to you the, this fact. The same love-motivated courage empowered Jesus as he went to the cross, right? Was G Did Jesus have any fear or anxiety about the up impending torture of the cross? Do we have any evidence that that was true? Absolutely we do. We have the record of his prayers. He's begging the Father, Lord, if there be another way, please let this cup pass for me. As he looks forward in his mind's eye to what he knows is going to happen, fear and anxiety is trying to grip him to the point where he is sweating drops of blood, right? 
There is fear and anxiety there. But what, what does he end up saying? Nevertheless, thy will be done. So what happened? Love for his father and the desire to obey him and love for you and me causes him to set aside self-preservation completely and to walk in as a lamb to the slaughter for the sake of those who he loved. Love conquers fear. Love causes men and women to have courage. Love wins. Fear loses every time. Praise God for that. This isn't in my notes, but love can motivate courage for evangelism. What is the thing most often that stops us from speaking up when there's an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody? Most often that thing that comes and grips our heart is fear of rejection, fear of an awkward situation, fear of a difficult conversation. You know what makes that fear go away? You know what makes that anxiety go away? Love. When you, when you realize how loved you are by the Father and you can't help but love that person that doesn't know him, all of a sudden the fear is vanquished and what is left is courage. Mouths start opening. Lives start lining up with the scripture. Love leads to obedience. Love leads to courage. Love defeats fear. And because the children of God are both loved by God and then called to love him and love others in response, there should be no fear among us. Period. God's children are and should be fearless. Praise God. Children of God are free. Children of God are fearless. Children of God are fathered. This is especially encouraging for some of us today. Father's Day can be a source of joy and celebration for some and a source of pain and anguish for others. There are many reasons that this can be a hard day. For some, it's because their biological father has passed away, and that makes today difficult. For some, it can be that because their biological father left or was never there to begin with, that makes today rough. For some, it's because the sins of their fathers caused them incredible pain and caused them to have a difficult time relating to God as father. That makes today difficult. The joyous truth today is that we have received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And we are invited to relate to God Almighty as our eternal Father who never dies, our faithful Father who will never leave us, and our perfect Father who will never sin against us. And so I just want to say to you today, if the Father's Day is difficult for you, uh, I want to say to you that I'm, I'm not speaking from a lack of experience in that department, but I want to say to you that Father's Day for us, no matter what the situation with our earthly father, can be a source of joy. Because here's, here's the rub, man. Earthly fathers aren't perfect, including the one standing in front of you. I'm going to do my best every single day of my life to, to answer the same challenge we gave those families today that dedicated their babies to the Lord. I want every single day to live a life in front of my kids that will lead them towards Christ. I don't ever, ever, ever want them to struggle for one second to relate to God as Father because I screwed up showing them an example of what that should be. Never do I want that to be said. But will I do perfect at that task? Absolutely not. And so when I don't, I'm going to repent and be humble before them. But the reality is, even where I fail, even where I don't provide everything a father should for my children, even in the places where maybe I mess up, if I steer them and point them to God who is a perfect father, if I let them understand that through Christ they've received a spirit of adoption, that they can cry out to a perfect God, Abba, Father, and he will receive them as such, they're going to be okay. And so I'm saying to you today, if Father's Day is rough for you, me too. 
But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't all have to be bitter. There is sweetness to it as well. Because for those of us that, that our earthly father, our biological father dropped the ball, we are, we are adopted and we are welcomed to relate to God the Father who is perfect and can never fail in any of those areas. And we can rejoice in that today. And so literally, Father's Day for me ends up being a celebration of all the good things that God has promised, of all the ways that he does completely and actually father us, his people, as his children. It's a celebration of the fact that I'm not cast away like a wretch as I deserve, but I'm brought close to him and allowed to speak to him as a son. That's, that's a lot of reasons for rejoicing on Father's Day. I'm also very thankful for the fact that what the gospel does is allows the family of God to supersede biology. And so I'm thankful today that even though Father's Day can be rough from a biological standpoint for many of us, that if we are open to what the gospel does, that the family of God can fill in a lot of those gaps and in a lot of ways do a better job. Because we, have, we can have many gospel fathers with many different strengths and many different emphases and, and guys that, that live their life in a different way that have different trades or different... Uh, gifts from God, and so all of them are able to pour into us, and that is a real and vibrant thing. And I've got fathers in this room that weren't wearing a blue smock the day I was born, and I'm real, real thankful for that. That's a real thing. And I know that this room is full of men that, of various ages, whether they have their own children or not, that have grabbed a hold of the idea that the gospel makes fathers out of men and have opened up their heart to the potential of, of loving and steering others as a gospel father, and I'm thankful for every single person that does that. And so today is... It's, it's an opportunity to celebrate that yet again. And so I'm thankful for what the gospel does, that it makes uh, people that would otherwise be strangers and maybe even enemies into family that love each other. It's a good thing. Amen. I believe it's important uh, that we make a distinction here. We're talking about the children of God. We're talking about the fact um, that we as the children of God are fathered in a beautiful and perfect way. Um, but I think we need to make a distinction because there's a common misunderstanding when it comes to God as father and uh, us as his children. Before I do this and before I make this distinction, I want to uh, ask you guys to consider this question and really, you know, don't really work through it in your heart. You might be able to anticipate the answer I'm looking for. I want you to, and you don't need to answer out loud, but just think through the implications of what I'm asking you. Think back to my earlier example. If I could tell the person living in the cell who had no idea there was an existence outside of that, if I could tell that person um, the, the truth about their situation, if I could tell them, listen, you're not really free. There is much more, and you were made for much more than living in this parking space-sized, dark, dank cell. If I could tell them that, would it be loving for me to do so? And it might, it might seem easy at first, but hold on, think about what I'm saying, because I'm saying that Really what I'm telling them is that they are a prisoner or a slave and they thought they were free. Is it still loving for me to do that? I'm disagreeing with, I'm coming to them and disagreeing with their entire worldview. Because they think in that cell, I can do whatever I want, I, I am completely free. They don't know what, what any existence outside of that is. They think they have freedom. Is it loving for me to come and in direct opposition to what they believe, tell them, there is much more possibility than this for you. Is that a loving thing? Okay. Well, here's what I need to say in the context of God as Father. Not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. Give me a second. Some of you don't like that, and I know it. Uh, we're in Romans 8. Look at verse 9 with me, if you would. Just, just let's see what the text says, okay? It says, however, 
You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Let's move down to verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We often think that being human is the only qualification for being one of God's children. This is not true. There's a difference between creator and father, and the difference is relationship. God is the creator of all, but he is not the father of all. Some of you don't like this because it sounds mean and exclusive, but give me a moment. That's not what I'm trying to be. I'm not trying to be harsh or controversial. We just have to think through this because I think, I think a lot of times we can hear somebody say, especially in a, in a potential evangelistic situation, hey man, we're all children of God. And I know myself, I have nodded when I've heard that statement because you think God created us all. So in, in that way, you, you would think, yeah, we are all children of God. But that runs counter to these verses and a whole host of others that would say that simply because God is creator, he is not the father of all. In the same way a rebellious teenager can petition for emancipation because they are convinced that they will be better off outside the care and instruction of their parents, we all can choose to reject God and his invitation to love him as a father and to be loved by him as his child. And we can see this, hold on, maybe you don't like that, we can see this from the parable of the prodigal son, that God desires relationship with even the most rebellious of us, but often because of pride and its blinding power, we stay away from the one place where all we are searching for will be found, and that's in the arms of our loving Father. So this is not that God is creator and, and, and rejecting some away from him, but here's the reality. Like the prodigal son, you know, and, and, and that's... That story's deeper sometimes than we understand. When that, when that son comes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance, that was supposed to happen when the father passed away. And in that culture, there was a, an incredible disdain in him coming and saying that. Almost, it, it, he may as well have said to his father, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I'm out of here. And so what that son was doing, what that son was doing, by his decision, by his sin and his rebellion, is he was electing to sever the cord of relationship with his father. He didn't, he didn't so much care about his father. All he wanted was his father's stuff. And he wasn't, didn't even want to wait till his father died to get his stuff. And I think if his father would have refused right then to give him his stuff, he, he probably would have left anyways. Because clearly there wasn't, there wasn't a love or desire for a, a son-father relationship there. He just wanted what the goodies he thought the father had. There are many that relate to God that way. There are many who would claim to belong to God who relate to God that way. That if, if the goodie bag isn't open and flowing in their direction, they're out of there. That's not what it looks like. That's not the way this relationship works. The, the situation with uh, earthly fathers is often the opposite. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about how you can have a difference between creator and father and the difference being relationship. Sometimes the situation with earthly fathers is the opposite. They're willing to partake in the act of conceiving a child, but not the responsibility of caring for the child. This man is worse than an infidel, according to the scriptures. With God, it is never he who backs away from the relationship. 
He has called us as his people to go into all the world and extend the invitation to as many as possible to receive the spirit of adoption through faith in Christ. Here's the sad reality. Many will choose their little cell because they have bought the lie that doing whatever they want in there is more freedom than doing what God made us to do outside of it. God will not force us to be his children, but he wants us to be, and he made a way for it to happen. Every single one of us in one way or another are a part of the the problem elements of the prodigal son story, right? Either we are the one who because of rebellious desires, because of idolatrous desires, because there's something we believe is being held back from us or some place we could have joy that would be better than relationship with the Father who loves us, we either go and rebel that way or we're on the other side of it. There was, there was equal distance at the end of the story between the father and the other son, right? The idolatry issue with, with the rebellious son that ran away is that he just wanted the father's stuff, and he didn't, he didn't care so much about obedience. He didn't care about relationship with the father. He was going to go do what he wanted to do. The, the elder brother, the other brother, he had an idolatry issue too. Some of you might think, well, you know, what, he kind of got a rough deal, man, because he always obeyed his dad. He did everything he was supposed to do. He even says that. He's like, Father, I, I'm here all the time. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And, and he's upset about the younger brother coming back and there being a, a celebration for him. The problem is idolatry in both places. See, the older, the older son, he thought he was going to relate to the father through his, his good works. He thought, if I just always do the right thing, then dad owes me something. And when, when dad didn't give him what he thought he was owed because of all the good works, what happened? We saw, we saw the truth come to the surface, right? Younger son just got to the age where he's like, bump this. I don't really care about this. I don't care about the fact that you love me. I don't care about any of what this is going to do to the family. I'm out of here. Give me, give me what's mine. I'm gone. The other guy was willing to stick around, but only if he got what he thought was owed to him. And he's upset when it didn't happen. It's idolatry both ways. And both ways, both ways our sin caused separation from the God that made us. The beautiful thing is, here's, here's, the, here's the, the bright spot of the story. Where's the father, man? Where's the father while the son is out there feeding pigs, starving to death? Where's the father while the son is out there doing his thing, right? Living the life, partying it up, wasting all the money, right? He probably put that family in a financial bind. If you understand the way it worked that day, that was a significant portion of that family's wealth that he took and squandered. But where do we see the father? We see the father standing on the porch, anxiously awaiting the return of his son, Not inside brooding, not inside thinking about how he's going to emasculate him or embarrass him when he comes back to try to teach him a lesson. That father is standing there, looking towards the horizon, waiting for the day his son would return. And, And doesn't even wait for him to get all the way there. As soon as he's close enough that he can make out the silhouette and he knows that's my boy, what's he do? He pulls up his, he pulls up his robes and starts running. That was, that was not even something men did in that time. Men didn't run. That was undignified. But get, how much did he care about it? Not at all. Why? He loved his boy. And reconciled relationship was the number one priority of that father. The money wasn't the, wasn't the biggest deal. And so here's, here's the point. Why did Jesus tell us that parable? Is that a cute story for us to go, oh, neat? No. <laughs> You, are one of the, you have a propensity and a tendency every day of your life to be one of the other brother. 
You will either have a tendency to be the younger brother who just wants God for his stuff, or you will have a tendency to be the older brother thinking that you've done everything necessary and that you should get the stuff. You will always be in that tension. We will always have to fight those tendencies. Who's the father in the story? That's God who loves us anyways, even though every single day we will be struggling through the fact that we make other things more important than relationship with him. And all he cares about the whole time, he wants to be with his sons. That's our God. And that's how he thinks about you. And I'm real thankful that that's true. And so what did he do? How did he make a way that rebellious children that uh, continually choose to separate from him, how did God make a way that we could fix the problem? Because, you know, here's the deal, man. God is perfect. God is holy. He is loving, but he's, he's still so holy and so perfect that there is no way that us in our sinful, rebellious condition that we could be in the relationship required to be called his children. Right? He doesn't take this lightly. He doesn't call us children of God when we, when we can't come near to him. God knows what, how papas and children are supposed to be. Right? My, kids, my kids don't have to stay in their room and, and call out 50 meters away from me because um, I don't want them near me. I don't want to smell them or whatever's going on. Hey, Dad, you know, air hug. No, man, if, if my kids want to get near me, guess what? Anything that's in the way can be moved. Come here. Come here. Let's get, let's get as close as possible. Come hug me, man. I love you. That's the way God is. He's not going to call us his children and it just be some pat thing that's not real. And so he wasn't going to leave it the way it was. God wasn't going to leave it where we all decided because of our sin to separate ourselves from him, where we all decided because of our idolatry to, to run away from him. He, he couldn't leave it that way. And so what did he do? He made a way. He made a way that, that the distance we had created between us and him could be bridged. Our imperfection caused us to not be able to be in relationship with him. He could not stand that. You didn't fix it. He did. And that's why he sent Christ. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come live a perfect life because we were never going to do it. He had to come and step in and be the sacrifice in our place for our sins. Somebody had to pay the price. God is holy. God is loving. But God is just. And he cannot let something go unpunished. The beautiful thing is he was willing to take the punishment. He was willing to take the pain. Somebody had to pay the price. He was willing to do it himself. He was willing to step in through Christ, pay the price that was required for us to be forgiven and thus reconciled. This whole deal is about relationship. This whole thing is about a father loving his sons and daughters. That's what it's all about. It's not about rules. It's not about God raining on your parade or ruining your fun. It's about him trying to get you out of that cell and, let, and bringing you out into the sunlight so you can feel the warmth of it on your face, so you can realize and see and feel the joy and the peace that comes in doing what you were made to do, which is to be with your father. That's why Jesus did what he did. And he didn't stay dead because his perfection meant that death had no claim to him. The stone rolled away and he rose from the grave victorious and proving that everything he said was true. And he's the king of glory and our savior. He ascended then to God the Father and he sits at his right hand now making intercession. A constant reminder that the price has been paid. And here's, and here's what we're left with. Not, not um, if you want to be reconciled to God, relationship as a child, that you have to follow the path of Christ being, being crucified as he was. It's not that you have to uh, pile up enough good works to outweigh all of your bad works because you'd never f get that done. The, the, the requirement is none of these things. Here's what God says. This is wild. Are you ready for it? Jesus did all the work 
lived a perfect life, died in your place, rose from the grave. He did it all. Here's your part in order to be reconciled in a relationship. Believe it. Woo! What kind of deal is that, man? Where else are you going to get something like that? Here, you don't do any of the work. I'll, I'll handle it all. Here's all I want you to do is just believe the fact that I did that. And I'm going to count that as righteousness to you. I'm going to let you get in on what Jesus did because you will trust by faith that what I'm saying is true. What, what, guys, what, what's the holdup? I don't understand. What, what's the hang-up? And how is it that we ever at all find it difficult to serve a God like that? How is it that we ever find it difficult to be excited and full of passion for that kind of relationship, for a God that loves us that much? It would pay all the price. He's, he's beautiful. He's wonderful. And I, I, I still can't understand why he would regard me as his son because I know how much I rebelled. I know how much... Even today, my thoughts and my tendencies tend to stray from him, that I'll let other things come in and steal away my affection and my attention from him. And, and still today, he calls to me. Still today, he waits for me. Still today, he draws me close, and he'll chastise me, and he'll love me, and he'll deal with me, and he'll treat me, me, like a son. I'm thankful today. And I'm asking you today, if you've not trusted him, if you've not believed in the pure truth of the gospel, I'm saying to you today, you are not a child of God. Your humanity does not instantly put you in a place of relationship with him. And I realize that might sound harsh, but, but you're in a cell today. And you believe that you're free, but you're not. And I'm just asking you, I'm asking you to, to regard what I'm telling you as loving. I'm trying to knock on the door and yell through the window, there's more! There's more! It's like C.S. Lewis says, man, that God's beckoning you to a, a holiday at the sea, man. Come, come to this beautiful vacation. Come see something beautiful, man, but you're, you're too busy playing in the mud in a ghetto. Stop. Please. Please. Listen. Believe the truth. There's something better for you than being your own God. There's something better for you than going from, from one thing to the next, one emotional high to the next, one, one substance to the next, whatever it is, whatever it is, however you're eking out an existence, there's something more. I'm asking you to see it. You can go from, from estranged and, 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 and cast away from God by your own decisions to drawing close to him as a child, as a son or a daughter. That's the invitation today. And I'm not asking you to Join a church. I'm not asking you to do a bunch of religious stuff. I'm asking you to do one thing to start. Because I realize some of you, your gears are already turning. Well, yeah, if I do that, then i got to do this and not do this. And Listen, please, please. That's, that's not first. Here's what's first. Will you believe what I just told you? Will you believe that God loves you like a father? And will you believe that he did everything that was necessary for you to relate to him that way? And will you trust that the finished work of Christ made a way that you could be saved? Will you do that? If you'll do that today... If you'll ask Jesus to come and change you on the inside, he'll do that. And all the stuff that you're freaked out about, all the stuff that you're not sure if you could change, you, listen, that's not your job. The Holy Spirit will come and begin to change those things. Some of you are nodding your heads because you have desires today that you still don't understand. You find yourself today wanting to be around God's people. Man, before Christ changed your heart, you, you didn't want to be around anybody, much less Christians, with their smiles <laughs> and their holiness, Right? Some of, you actually, some of you actually wanted to be here today. You had a perfectly good excuse. You could have thrown a barbecue. It was Father's Day. You could have found a way out of it today. Easy, and nobody would have judged you. But you, did, you wanted to be here today. And you, some of you are still like, what is going on? And that's because the Holy Spirit's real. Like some of you really 
really look forward with anticipation to gathering with God's people in a small group during the week and, and talking about the Bible and, and laughing together and doing life together and sharing what you're struggling with and, 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 and praying for each other. Like you legitimately are looking forward to even the awkward parts of doing real life together. What? Who likes that? Somebody that's been completely transformed on the inside and that God is taking from death to life. Somebody, somebody looks forward to that that spent the rest of their existence in a little dark cell and never saw anything, had no hope. And they get out of that thing, man, and the sun touches their face and they get to talk to somebody else and they start to realize, man, this, this is what I was made for. My God, thank you. And all of a sudden, these things that Christians do isn't this burden upon our back that we walk hunched over and try to carry, man, but it's a thing that we can, we can skip with <laughs> because it's joy and it's life and it's light to us. It's a beautiful thing. Praise God. And I'm, just, I'm inviting you to that today. I'm trying to, I'm trying to answer the call of the Scriptures that would say, if I've been loved by God, if I'm treated as His Son, that what He asks me to do is let the others that He's waiting for know. You need not be far away from him. You can come close. It won't be because you're better. It won't be because you're going to fix it. It's going to be because you will trust in Christ Jesus and what he's done. Will you do that today? Some of you that have thought you've done that, but you've been that elder brother, you thought you were relating to God through all of your good works. You've got a big, long list of all the cool stuff you've done for God. Will you set that down today and will you realize that none of that gets you there? Will you set that down today and realize that that pushes you away from God as well? Will you, will, you lower, will you lower that expectation of, of some goodie bag from heaven being poured down upon you and realize that if you're close to God, that what he does or doesn't do is because of his love for you and his infinite knowledge and wisdom that is higher than your own? Will you be able to say to God today and mean it, your will be done, and be excited about whatever that means? I invite you to that today. That, friends, is freedom. That's freedom. And just, just try to get your mind there for a second, that you, in all the things that you're freaked out about today, in all the things that you're worried about, in all the places where your heart is trying to be gripped by fear, that you can literally and really, and in a deep, true way, take those things, set them at the feet of a sovereign king who created everything, step back from it and say, thy will be done, and leave it there. I'm telling you, if you've not tasted that kind of freedom, please, today, do it. Trust him. He can handle your stuff better than you can. I know you think, I know you think that, that you're, you know, everyone else, they probably need that, but you're the one, right? You're the one that can handle it, and you better keep this and keep worrying about it and thinking about it, because if, if you don't, who's gonna? You're not the one. You're the same as everyone, and you'll be crushed under the weight of those worries and fears. That anxiety will crush you. And you need not bear it. You have an open invitation to leave it at the feet of someone that loves you. His name is Jesus. Please, receive that freedom today. I'm thankful that God won't force us to be his children, but that he wants us to be. I'm really thankful for that today. May we be a people who are free indeed. Not slaves to pride and selfishness but free to do what we were made to do. May we be a people who are totally fearless because of who our God is, his love for us, and his love in us.
May we rejoice in our adoption as children of God, both in this life and eternity to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now humbly in the name of Jesus. We are thankful for that privilege that we are granted access to your throne room. We are granted access to your ear because of our big brother who went first, who built the bridge back between us and you. Father, we repent for all of the times that we've taken that for granted. We repent for all of the times that we've uh, ran back across that bridge as if we could do it better than, than you could. We know that's not true when we think rightly. We know that's not true, Lord, when we really let our hearts and minds be overcome and overtaken by the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for those that are here within the sound of my voice today that Father's Day is difficult for them for a various, whatever the reasons are. Some dads weren't there. Some dads aren't here today. Some dads didn't do a good job and were there. God, I ask that all of those pains by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you would pour oil and wine into those hearts that are shredded by those memories and those current pains, and I just ask, Lord God, that you would minister healing to them. I ask, Lord God, that forgiveness would flow in and flush out all bitterness, and Lord God, that ultimately they would be able to rejoice in the fact that they are not stuck only with what a biological or earthly father can do, but they, they are welcomed into your arms, that you are a perfect, holy, loving, ever-faithful father, and that they have access to you. Lord, may we all rejoice in that on Father's Day. May we, may we for sure celebrate earthly dads. May we for sure celebrate gospel fathers. But Lord God, may we always on Father's Day remember, you are the father of all fathers. You are the father of the fatherless. You are the, the great perfect example for all of us who would seek to raise children. Lord, I ask you to keep teaching us, keep instructing us, help us, Lord to be fathers that would image you, that would mirror your greatness, that would mirror your glory, that would mirror your, your long-suffering and patience. God, help us to be humble. Help us to be good representatives. And Lord God, help us this week to rejoice in the fact that we are your children. God, I ask that through this series, we would more and more identify ourselves as your children. That when you drill down to the core of us, the first thing you would find the part of our identity from which all the rest would flow would be that we are children of God. Thank you for being our Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give, or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.